Hi, Red Team. Uh, good evening. So last time we did this, I made a specific remark about how uh, most of what we talk about on this podcast is about esports being stupid in a funny way that doesn't ultimately really matter because it's just people like burning speculative capital on it. Um, but the last episode wasn't like that. And I wanted to record a very funny one uh, between that and this one. But, but but it didn't happen. Well, yeah, and other <laughs> stuff happened that uh, yeah. that made this seem more present. So this is going to be a, a heavier one. With us is Josh Melnick. Hello. Um, you might know them from uh, Twitter, I guess. Yeah, that's kind uh, of it. You work in the games industry, and do you write ever? Uh, I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, I've written um, for formerly Waypoint, now Vice Games about. Mm-hmm. Esports, um, mostly fighting games, but also sometimes Dota and Counter-Strike and just kind of whatever. It's a whole suite of things. Today we're going to talk about the worst topic of all. Yeah, uh, it's not a good one. But sexual the one, assault. You can't run away from it, and you need to, you know, yeah, I'm going to take it, my it own shit out of here right now. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that is kind of the central premise of a lot of what you've been writing uh, on Twitter and also what this podcast, uh, this episode. So the thing that makes it um, topical, or at least currently evergreen, is that um, we're at a moment where more, uh, w- while this generally happens to women more frequently, more um, victims and survivors in general are feeling like they're encouraged to come forward with things that have happened over the course of years in the scene. And that's kind of all snowballing this year. In, I mean, specifically in fighting games, in Smash included. Like, yeah. as someone who came from Smash originally... I was getting gradually more and more cynical and hopeless with how frequently and constantly people were doing terrible things and getting away with them. And then as I nestled myself more in the FGC, I realized this wasn't a smash centric issue. This was pretty easy to find anywhere you could look. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty world centric, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also kind of pretty niche community. Like there's something about, certain types of communities that also like they're smaller and they're closed off and there's like i don't know my theory on that is really just that niche communities are the only people that are the only communities that meet in person anymore and Mm. i mean you do have these in obviously like very big communities like hollywood um and largely the reason you don't see an overwatch uh or you know a call of duty uh, sex scandal scene is just because lands for those games where you know everyone can intermingle on an equal playing field is isn't as a non-concept i do think there's also something to be said for um niche scenes sort of the smaller a scene is um the more uh of an average impact any one person has which can make removing individuals more difficult in part because they have more friends like um people who are around in the FGC um, have more friends who are around in the FGC. And as a result, um, it, can be, it can be very difficult to uh, convince their friends to start banning them from tournaments if their friends run those tournaments. And um, so yeah, even, yeah, even if, if these things do happen in, um, in larger communities, it can be, 
I think it can be easier to say, to form a sub-community and say, well, we're, we're this community, but without these people. And that if you, you do break these rules or, or if you do assault somebody, then we're, we're just going to remove you from this sub-community. And you can still make movies or whatever because you live your own life, but we're not going to let you make movies with us. Whereas um, in the fighting game community, it, it can be very hard to say, well, we're going to play fighting games over here and we're not going to go to these big tournaments, the big tournaments that your friends are running. Yeah, those power dynamics can be pretty different. The incident that caused the the levy, as it were, of this to break was probably um, people coming out about Chris Bond. Um, oh, wow, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was probably the first thing that happened. And so as a Smash player, I've had to deal with a fair amount of like struggle sessions over people uh, doing sexual assault for a while. It's been an issue in the community for a long time, and it's been a very public one that's honestly gotten us a fair amount of bad press. Um, and a lot of people have been kind of like hesitant to like <clears throat> participate in the scene because of it. And Eve, I think I saw a fair amount of that from the FGC, not anyone in particular, just like as a general id. Um, where there would be a lot of people who would be like, Smash is so toxic for this. And I don't even I don't even follow Ultimate or Smash 4. Like, so I, I don't want to stand for those communities because I genuinely don't really know what happens or like what the depth to any of this is. But for me personally, um, and you know, they're not wrong, uh, but what we kind of saw was, and I think this is almost universally true, is like if your scene whatever it is, isn't kind of having a conversation like this, it's probably because it's being swept under the rug, not because it's better there, than anything else. There is an X factor specifically with Smash Ultimate and all of the stuff that, it's ha that is happening with them is that their dirty laundry is literally commodified and used on YouTube for various yeah. uh, Keemstar-esque folk to leverage that and keep those narratives going because they are ultimately entertaining and everybody sucks in on them even if there are literal casualties to it yeah oh yeah and yeah that, that makes that makes the whole smash community look like shit and it's fucking embarrassing but, I, yeah. I do yeah. also think that smash gets a little bit more um of the publicity around this in part because i think the gender ratio of smash players is a little bit more equal than most know. other it was sports. ultimate hell yeah yeah, yeah i ultimate, definitely think sure. i definitely think amongst ultimate especially as compared to the fgc um and as, as compared to like people who show up to Counter-Strike events, right? Like you, you have all female Counter-Strike lands, which has done a lot to help women playing Counter-Strike, but you still don't see female players at the top level in, yeah. in male competition. Um, and you are starting to see more gender diversity amongst, um, amongst the talent, but still the player base at these events is like 100% across the board male. Um, and I think uh, in the FGC, you're starting to see a little bit more gender diversity at the top level of play. But it, in Smash, I think you've, for a very long time, we've had like top players who are women. And um, and I think the, the general population being more female like means that either there are more cases of this or women feel more comfortable coming forward because they have more friends who have also gone through this or, or more friends that they are willing to confide in. Regardless of the reasons, I think the fact that there are more women, in, especially in Smash Ultimate, means that there is that this laundry gets aired more publicly sooner, yeah. right sooner which doesn't necessarily mean that it's it, it's happening at a higher rate even right. it just means that it, it gets more visibility yeah so i mean i think that's kind of why i wanted to do this episode which is like as 
a bunch of people who've been looking at this and how like a, a grassroots community deals with this for a fair amount of time, um, what this is likely going to look like. Um, and I think like one of your best points uh, from the Twitter thread you made is like, this isn't actually get ever going to end, really. You're going to deal with these issues forever, and it is going to suck forever. Um, but that's far, far better than like the points at which it just never gets addressed. Yeah, I, I think I think the, the big point that I, I tried to make on Twitter, and I don't know if I even did it that eloquently, um, was that there is a sort of... Um, there's a sort of how it feels for the general public versus a how it feels for the specific victims. Um, and that, that, uh, that how it feels for the general public is that Chris Bond has been running around and he's a photographer who's helping out with, um, with a bunch of female-centric events. And he every, is apparently nice to everybody and it all seems um, well and good. And then there's the actual lived experience for his victims, which is obviously very, very different than that. And then there's the moment where it switches, where somebody comes forward with these allegations, other people come forward and corroborate them, and all of a sudden, everybody who has seen Chris Bond as this just sort of nice, lovable figure around is all of a sudden like, oh, you're actually somebody that like I cannot in good conscience feel good about being friends with anymore, um, whereas the women who are coming forward with this are now substantially less likely to actually be assaulted or harassed by him. Um, and so that moment feels terrible for most people because your perception of the situation has gone from everything is fine to actually Chris Bond is a predator. Whereas the actual lived reality of the situation is that we've gone from Chris Bond is, is actively um, harassing people and assaulting people to Chris Bond is no longer, no longer gets the access to do this. People are way more upfront about it, um, about knowing that these situations exist. Um, but also people who thought everything was fine are now suddenly feeling bad about the situation. And we need to learn how to separate our lived reality as being everything is fine to being everything is right. terrible to being everything is fine to being actually everything was not fine, but things are better now than they were before, even though they feel worse. Right. And from that, you kind of have to conclude like, look, again, if this isn't being talked about, yeah. it's not because it isn't happening and you kind of have to, like, temper your expectations right. of the perfection in yeah. your scene. So people uh, were able, surprisingly enough, people were able to look at the Chris Bond situation and kind of say, yes, let's get that shit out of here. And that happened pretty swiftly, and that's a good thing. But there are a lot of instances where it yeah. that's not the case. Yep. A lot. I did say originally that, like, Chris Bond was kind of the Levy, and maybe it is for this particular moment, but preceding all of this was infiltration yes, um yeah. which is <laughs> yeah that's a bigger fish, yeah. to, fish which to fly even right. i i don't know if you guys saw so at evo at the very end once the last game has ended they run a sort of sizzle reel mm -hmm. of whoever wins each game um on the main event and they passed over sam show they just they literally just did not have sam show at part of that in that I, montage uh, but they did have a group of people clapping for infiltration on the floor yeah. i was yeah. there well, that's it happened. I would bet a lot of money that the reason that happened was because whoever was in charge of making that reel didn't do it and not an, an order from above I, to dodge it. Maybe. I, I, I know a few people who are involved in PR, like who are, who are specifically on Evo's PR staff, right. and I know that they were unhappy with Infiltration not being banned. So I, don't, I honestly don't know. It could go yeah, either way. Right. but. Yeah, there's like a good little contingent of people in the FGC brass who are feel the right way about the bad thing 
And if they can't make it happen on the tournament floor, they can make right. it happen exactly. in post PR, at the very least. Yeah. yeah. The people who are behind the scenes who are not competitors are probably also more likely to be women. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, like how many women like tournament organizers are like not right. even to- yeah. not tournament, not, totally. not tournament organizers, but tournament staff. Yeah. Like it, the, the ratio goes way up. Yeah. Way, and so it's up. like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, the people behind that, like who knows? I mean, yeah. And I, I will say the people I know on Evo PR staff who are the ones who I would expect to have made that are women. So, yeah. Which is not a surprise. Yep. Not a surprise. Cause who knew that, women know stuff about stuff that <laughs> mostly happens to women well, um, i mean sometimes other times you have like yeah sometimes people don't know that yeah sometimes like you have <laughs> but i mean yeah. i think the term gets get thrown around a lot is pick me's which is like i think you know like i get why it, it gets used but also like uh, eventually we're gonna have to reckon with the fact that like identity and uh outlook are not one-to-one like scalable and uh, a lot of women just really genuinely believe uh, as hard as all the men do that, um, you know, these abusers are actually getting like conspirated against and they didn't actually do anything wrong. And it's the other uh, women who are like out to get whomever, you know, the filthy feminists or whatever. Um, but yeah, on average, for sure. And also just like a good portion of breaking up that sort of, again, wall of silence. Yeah. Um, I think an interesting question to ask that you see, and I've seen a lot of people, particularly um, like uh, Ian Walker on Twitter, and um, I can't remember his name. I think it's Tanner uh, Moomin Hippo King. I love having to talk about a serious thing and then have to cite like a Twitter that's just like Mr. Poo Poo Pee Pee Man. Share this guy. <laughs> just like... Uh, so it's at King Hippo 42 Tanner Rupert um, about the question of like whether esports will save us from this. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, no. So that's kind of the question I want to pose to you guys. I like the framing of uh, esports as a savior of anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a very <laughs> loaded question to yeah. get you to say the things I want. So, so I actually, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say, but I, um, I think I have a very strange perspective on like esports as a concept. Part in part because I've spent so much time like in different kinds of competitive games communities, um, and so like when I watch a Dota tournament, right, which is sort of what is held up as as the standard of like this is what esports is. Do you mean like, like an average Dota tournament or the international? Um. Or. Even on average Jota tournament. Well, so average Jota tournaments um, obviously aren't, don't have as much money in them as yeah. the international, but are still produced in, I think, a sufficiently similar way for this to still, um, to still count. But to me, it, um, the things in my mind that are like upsetting about esports is, are mostly the ways that people sort of homogenize their behavior with one another when there's a lot of money or when pe- people feel like they need to act professionally or whatever, um, like you get a lot of broadcasters who sort of like adopt this, what they think a radio voice sounds like or whatever, even if they don't have training or even if they do have training, they just sort of adopt a sort of generic feeling persona and they start yelling a lot and um, even when things aren't necessarily actually that exciting. Um, so to me, that's like that's like the danger of esports, right? Is, is the homogenizing of it. The money 
obviously brings in people who um, are not great, but also I would argue that there have been a lot of people running stuff around grassroots communities before there was money who were maybe not yeah. the greatest. Like Triforce Johnson no, yeah. ran around for like two decades or something when there was almost no money to make in the scene. It, yeah, God knows why. Our grifters have, right. have preceded our, our actual cash yeah, flow. And I, it was the industry. Right. And I don't know. I don't. I do think that, that more money increases the likelihood that, these, that this kind of person, that these grifters will show up. But I also think that um, the broad dangers of esports are maybe less scary to me than just this homogenizing effect. Well, I think specifically I wanted to engineer the question in is in terms of like, there's this idea that I think that some people have that the issues that our scenes are facing are that it's like this rough around to the edges, mm. grassroots community where no one can really be held accountable. And if you throw enough like money and professionalism into something that you won't see this kind of thing happen. And then um, Chris Tatarian. Yeah. So that's one. We can definitely go into that. I mean, I think even just, even before any specific like situations that we want to talk about i think it's also like th that's extremely fake because okay it's real in the sense that you might not hear about it mm -hmm. but the reason is because if people have enough money they just pay people yeah. and pay the victims to never to yeah. never post the threat right. or never you know what i mean to or, never actually say anything or these people with money um, just like even if even if they're not paying somebody a journalist is unlikely to write about them because they have an existing relationship and they need that relationship in order to get access to tournaments or whatever just exactly. for whatever reasons increased money makes talking about stuff harder yeah increased money makes talking about stuff harder because now it's like it's not just like your friendships depend on something but like your livelihood depends yeah, on yeah, something yeah, yeah. and i think like the coercive pressure to not talk about stuff just keeps it the more money that is in something or like the more sort of you know the more of like a livelihood stake is like happening the less likely people are to talk about it and so like sure you might not hear about it in like you know fancier you know events that aren't considered like whatever rough and tumble right. like like you know the fgc might be but that's probably just because the people who run it have tons of money yeah yeah and also just it seems like a really weird analysis to me that's like, oh, if we have a more centralized uh, power structure and uh, then we'll see less coercive use of that power I, for... I, I do think that there's something to be said for idea of representation in the context of social communities um, because as it stands, um, Christitarian is... We'll, we'll obviously get no, more like, in detail. No, we can just do that. Let's do that here. So, yeah, I mean, it's right there because it's... right. Because we look at esports as like corporate influence, and it's like, well, what if we got people who are established in the communities to work in the esports ecosystem? Ding ding, TM. Um, the esports ecosystem so. with the corporate interests, and then what you have is Michael Martin working for Capcom Fighters, right? And then he won't ban his friend, no matter how many people he physically threatens. Yeah. So, <laughs> so for context for the people who don't who don't know, Chris Tarian is a longtime Street Fighter player, top level Street Fighter player from from ETOs Southern California, too, right? or no? Maybe I honestly don't know. He's Southern California, so I just haven't been to local tournaments around there um uh but he he has sort of been known as a, a douche for a while yeah. <laughs> uh, i think that's pretty safe to say um he recently was is in this sort of like uh group chat amongst um southern californian fighting game players that was like an old guy's chat or whatever um and he and his friend brent um who's also another top level street fighter player were just sort of like speculating about why women are leaving and they're like oh it's I don't even remember what the reasons were, but they were dumb. They were really dumb. Right. And and um, one person who was in this chat uh, 
was like, actually, I think that they might be leaving because, you know, they feel unsafe at events, which is what they've been telling us is the reason that they've been leaving. And they're like, ah, oh, well, you know, I think there could be a lot of different reasons. And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure that it's the thing that they're telling us. Um, and he then posted screenshots of, of Brent and, and Chris T saying this dumb shit on, uh, onto Twitter. He got removed from the group chat, which whatever, remove people from group chats. Yeah. But then they also started making vague threats to him. Um, which the first time no this is definitely not i mean they my my understanding or like my experience of christy and brent is just sort of generalized bad behavior which could include kind of anything mm-hmm. i just Tough like don't, bullshit yeah, yeah i just don't happen to like i can't pull a specific thing it's just general bad behavior and so this did not feel out of character for him or brent um but was a moment for people to go these threats seem like they ought to violate some Something well, maybe real existing documented right. exactly, like, and so they they looked up um, Capcom Pro Tour's code of conduct or the the rules, which has a code of conduct in it, which explicitly bars threats. Um, and so they were like, "This seems like a threat. This seems like a legitimate thing to um, to act on if you're running the Capcom Pro Tour." Um, people reported this to Capcom fighters and Michael Martin, who is the the director of of Capcom Esports. Um, and then Michael Martin put out a sort of vague, like, we are, we are not in any position to judge the intent behind this, but if there were threats, then that would be something to act on, and then just sort of dropped it and walked away. And this was after about a week of people saying, like, uh, a combination of things, of, of people who are already skeptical of Michael Martin and of Capcom Esports saying they're almost certainly not going to do anything, but we would love to see them do something, and people who have more faith in the system being like, oh, this is their opportunity to finally... <laughs> like put their foot down and, and ban Christitarian when they didn't. I think a lot of those people, I hope a lot of those people sort of lost some of their faith in the structures to work as, um, as they appear to be set up to intended to, to have intended to, to function. Um, but regardless, Christitarian is not banned from anything despite having made pretty explicit threats. Um, so the, the place I was going with this was that this is an opportunity for us to have actual, representation in terms of what happens in the community because as of right now we're relying on regardless of whether these people are good or not right i am not a big fan of michael martin um i was pretty skeptical that he was going to do anything i was not surprised when he didn't um but even if michael martin were somebody that i had a lot of faith in it still ultimately comes down to whether or not michael martin is in the mood to do something right this is not there it never falls to us to to random people who play fighting games who show up to these tournaments um, as to what these decisions get made, we, we just have zero say in them. Um, and so this is where something like the Smash Code of Conduct panel, um, which I have my own qualms with, but at least that's a, an attempt to have um, some sort of say from general people. I think that the fact that the Code of Conduct panel was sort of um, made... Kind of top-down. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of made in a vacuum, like from, our, from my perspective. At no, least. Like, you're I, not wrong. I, have, I mean, I, I like a lot of the people yeah, and trust totally. a lot of the people who were on it. Totally. But yeah, I mean, nobody uh, really got a say in yeah. who was on it. Like or, the, the, code, the, yes, the Smash Brothers Code of Conduct panel feels to me like if Michael Martin were just less... Like if I had a little bit more faith in Michael Martin or if, yeah. if Michael Martin were... Right, um, and was more than one person that consisted of women and um, people who are maybe more sensitive to these issues than I think Michael Martin is. But it's still a group of people who I have no say in, in who these people are. And um, 
So I don't even know, like, unionizing, like, player unions or whatever. Well, you also, you run into a lot of problems by bureaucratizing these issues where it's just, once you have a, a sufficient amount of accountability on the people who are doing this, it actually becomes much harder to get things done, which is genuinely a very good thing in some ways. I, I do think that it's like, like, I don't want to say that, you know, false narratives are like a huge player in what goes on, but it, it's an opportunity that you could definitely exploit if you were looking to. And I don't think that happens a lot. And I think when I have seen it happen, it's largely kind of just flopped. Like it hasn't actually taken anyone very far. Um, but it makes things very difficult and slow in other ways. And most of the time I've seen people get uh, hashtag canceled. It's been first a community response and then formalized by the con code of conduct. Yeah, I mean, communities are inherently faster. Like the, the retweet is a light speed action. I don't know. The, the reason why I think quote unquote cancel culture is like what people call this thing is because that's always the first response because it's the fastest thing that can possibly mm -hmm. even happen. Yeah, nuance is slow. Yeah. I think that makes sense, though, that, that like um, a piece of information can have a sort of most likely immediate reaction to it. And then because spreading just a verbatim piece of information infinitely quickly is just is like trivially easy, that it's very common that a single piece of information will exist. It will be spread almost universally around a community and then people will have a singular reaction to it regardless of what happened because there may be two pieces of information right just because a tweet is one thing yeah that spreading it is fast yeah and that has its ups and downs again like the code of conduct but it also shows that like i th i think one of the worries of like getting a code of conduct is like um people will do the same thing they do with the u.s prison system now u.s, US united states department of justice or they'll say like oh, well, you know, if they haven't banned them, then they're fine. When it's like, yeah, these things take time. And once you have enough formal structure, there's like a liability involved and like, and, you know, banning people from events that you can't fully prove. So like, you can't actually just rely on them, um, which I think is more to your point that it's like, needs to be more community driven, not less. Um, yeah, I think the other point in terms of like, is a more formal corporate structure going to like, save us from the the hard parts of being a community is like first of all I, I i mean personally i don't think that's yeah so is that uh the other word for esports in the fgc is hollywood and hollywood is not very well known for being good at dealing with sexual i'm, I'm assault. so glad we came back to this so i could do the quip i've been waiting to do for 20 minutes which is just like when we ask if is esports going to save us from this in any way we're basically just asking is a corporate environment going to save us from these things and if you simply look to yeah, what corporate environments have generated no there's just gonna be like a little saint james island but for gamers <laughs> is what you're which, for. Uh, yeah. bobby kotick uh the ceo of activision blizzard on the oh epstein flight God. logs of course really? yeah of course. so let's don't trust esports to save you the top of that pyramid isn't a good yeah. luck yeah. i mean you know it, it just all all corporatizing things does is turn it from a social scene to a corporate scene and turns interpersonal relationships into working relationships and workplace workplace assault and workplace harassment is something that is like as old as time yeah as we've i mean i guess the difference between there isn't actually a hard line between like workplace and uh interpersonal relationships in in games uh that we're talking about but i was going to say like originally we planned to do this about three weeks ago um and during which time you've managed to uh 
find an entirely different scene of your oh life God. also embroiled in a similar conflict. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. Back there. Do we want to talk about flow? Maybe. I actually don't really know what the oh, situation is. No one really does. Yeah, that's... That's like the first... Well, so he literally lawyered up. Yeah. Like ASAP. But and... also, that's the first time I've seen something where, like, the blowback against it seemed credible, but also, like... Yeah, I honestly have no idea what to make. I'm putting that as that. a straight 50-50. This is probably not great, but, like, a, a bit... Well, no, but, like, a, a big way that... I make my evaluations about how I feel about this stuff is like how the accused reacts. And he literally just shut up. He like lawyered up and was like, I'm not saying anything. And so I just like, don't have anything to go off of. These types of things are inherently, I mean, not necessarily inherently, but the vast majority of the time things that can only be corroborated by like the people who are present, which is like the perpetrator and the victim. It's the hardest like thing to actually create any kind of accountability for or like to do any kind of whatever justice even is for it's just it's so hard for people to wrap their heads around because it's something that is fundamentally a behind closed doors thing like it happens the only people who could really speak directly to what happened are the two people involved or however many people are involved and kind of the only long-term effects are with those two people and so it's it's just if the you know if the perpetrator you know the abusers just instantly lawyer up and stop talking there's no way to actually like really do much well to them or well, like about is, it other is, than just like unless you're willing to take them to court which yeah. i i don't if i don't know if i would be willing to take Ari Weintraub to court like i just don't yeah. and so i think that's just kind of that like i think this is my most likely prediction for the flow situation is that Something, yeah, right, is that something is going to happen behind closed doors where the accuser will, like, consider, like, for a brief moment, like, maybe I do take this to court, and then will be presented with, like, a legal statement that is very official and be like, I don't know if I can afford to do this. Yeah. And then that's that. Everything is so stacked against people who are, who are victims of, of sexual violence. It's like... I don't know, when it comes to like Twitter things and all these different things, I think that that is something that is naturally developed as a response to the fact that there's zero legal or just justice about any of this, because that's really all that anyone has the power to do. Public opinion is like all we have when it comes to these things. It's the only resource. And so like the, there's a point at which the court of public opinion is is an is like the literal court because yeah. then you know the actual court's not going to do anything and then like when you're dealing with people like flow who are so entrenched and established it's like how do you even get the court of public opinion to consider that or like because like, like there's everyone's mostly just not touching it because yeah. i mean the crisp, but not touching it helps bond? flow more than it helps for sure yeah. but but that's also because like the bond thing is honestly beyond a reasonable doubt it's like there's too much corroboration usually when people when there are predators like statistically most predators uh have more than one victim at, so least, at least most predators for whom a victim goes public have yeah. more than one but I also think, I, I mean, I'm not sure about this. I, I haven't studied it. I'm not smart. Um, but I think there's like 
uh, a fair amount of psychological stuff behind people being repeat offenders. But that made it very easy for us to like look at Bond and say, okay, this definitely happened. And I think generally a lot of people are still up in the air, um, which isn't to say like innocent until proven guilty so much as um, literally just no one knows, so no one wants to touch it about flow. And I think there's a kind of separate conversation about what happens to someone in that position. Because it's very clear what you should do with someone who's definitely done a thing and you need to push out. But it's like, do you... If someone has been accused of sexual assault and there's no point at which it's been like corroborated and you, like, you genuinely don't know if it's a thing, do you, do you push them out of the community? Do you say they can't attend tournaments until something's been decided one way or another? Like... How do communities handle this? Like she said, like, how do you prove that from a innocent until proven yeah. guilty standpoint? That's a, that's but like, a, how do you like, deal innocent with it? Until proven, like, quote unquote, innocent until proven guilty doesn't really, it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, like, it doesn't work, period. But like, it's, it especially doesn't work for this because no one can know what happened except for the, and so it's like, you have to disbelieve what victims are saying. But that also means that, like... It's abusable. That it's abusable. And I think that people are uncomfortable with that. Like, people are uncomfortable with the theoretical idea that it's abusable, even though the reality is that that's not really what happens. I mean, the reality is that if someone is coming forward and saying, this person sexually assaulted me, that's pretty much, like, what happened. Um, because the reasons... Like, I don't know. Like, like when you list off, like, what, what is what is yeah. the reason for lying about someone sexually assaulting you? Like, that's not really, like, a thing. Yeah, this isn't a Kobe Bryant situation where it's plausible that someone could make something up to get millions of dollars of settlement money. This is a Twitch streamer. Yeah, but he feels like Kobe to a lot of people. Feels like, but there's still no, there's no concrete, legitimate um, prize to be gained. Yeah, there's no yeah. prize to be gained from pretending that someone of that status did something to you. Even if this, if you imagine the case where this was some plot to ruin Flo's life or whatever, there's no, there's no like optimal version of the plot that ends with this person making a lot of money, right? Like the, the absolute end goal, even in that person's, this like imaginary plot world is that Flo is no longer allowed to attend fighting game tournaments, yeah. right? Which unless that is your concrete goal, like, what Which would the motivation also a very silly be? goal. He goes to, like, maybe two events a year. Yeah, but, tops. like, what, what yeah. would the motivation be? Well, I mean, there are social be? consequences. Yeah. Um, at least imagined, you know, people think there are social consequences. Yeah, it's just so tough because, like, it's it fundamentally makes people uncomfortable just because there is no system that actually, like, works. I don't know, like even in the theoretical sense, like the theoretical idea that someone could even, you know, come up and make something up and whatever. And because we, because there's no way to prove anything innocent until proven guilty is kind of an absurd idea. Like when you actually like analyze it. Well, I mean, it makes sense for like a system where you yeah, go only, to jail. Yeah, it only applies to the final yeah, punishment, but I the mean, way you're viewed by society is way more complicated yeah and also yeah. like even from the perspective of like people who are going to jail or whatever like i think that yes the fact that someone's coming forward at all that's totally evidence you know what i mean but like when right. you, when, like if you go to jury duty or whatever they tell you like you know that whatever whoever the defense person is will be like you know just because some like 
you, you get interrogated by the by the, right, the, like, the defense it, lawyer and they say you know do you think that the fact that someone's on the stand right now or that my or that my client's being accused means that maybe there's some credibility to this and if you don't say no you're not going to get picked to be on the jury yeah it's pretty you know insane. and and it's and it's like that's kind of bananas and i think like people try to apply that to all situations but it's like we have eyeballs and we have brains and we know like how these things work um i don't know it, it's just so it's so tough because like innocent until proven guilty doesn't really make sense but also like it makes people fundamentally uncomfortable that the fact that that doesn't really make sense is exploitable yeah. and like the the theoretical exploitability of it just like i think that's what bothers people it. almost as much as the idea that any individual person is getting uh oh yeah 100%. getting is just the idea that it's like as soon as you set this up uh then it leaves a lot of room and ability for people yeah. to do that it makes people feel vulnerable it makes like in a, in a way that like they don't feel because they're men and <laughs> Or, you know, men who have never experienced this. I, I also think there's something to be said for, if, you, if we look at the Chris Bond case as kind of the most open and closed, just like it went in, in the way that went, like was as good as we could hope for from one of these, where people come forward, they corroborate the stories, and then he made a public statement of sort of like, I'm seeking help or whatever, and is like <laughs> not going to events anymore, right? Even if we think of oh. that as kind of the the best case, like we still haven't actually proven that he's guilty, right? Like the no. reason that we uh, agree that he's guilty is because a lot of people corroborated and then he felt right. And then he felt pressured to say something about it. And then he came forward. If he had just, and never, he originally did it originally, right. he came forward and he was like, uh, my wife says I didn't do it. Yeah. But yeah. they're just like, if, if we just, if we just pretend that he just didn't say like admit it, then yeah. the result would have still been the same where people mm -hmm. would not have hired him to go to events. I think, I think people like believed it enough, I agree but that. that doesn't change the fact that we haven't, we didn't actually like prove it. Right. It was the same evidence as every other case where a bunch of women just said like, well, I think that it's a bunch of women is a very, right. no, difference. I, I totally agree. But the fact that if, if you're in your mind, an accusation is not actual like proof. Like if they're still innocent until proven guilty past an accusation, then six accusations is still not proven. Right. A million, it's, yeah. Right. So it just doesn't make right. There, it doesn't we, make sense. We literally can't use that as no, and we shouldn't. As an, right, as an evaluative mechanism, because by if if you don't believe that that an accusation can be proof, then you don't believe that there will ever be resolution. You just like fundamentally, that worldview does not coexist with removing predators from communities it just can't yeah. happen you just and, need and to I accept it and one generally even beyond this needs to push back against the idea that like everything needs to work on a framework as rigid and legalistic as the yeah. literal department of justice yeah. it's not how we live any of our lives you know you're I don't know if I said that my roommate did something shitty to my other roommate they wouldn't demand that I like prove it beyond reasonable right. doubt like, well where's your security camera footage yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think like it's also tough to bureaucratize all these things because every situation is so different. I don't know. Like you, you can't really like formalize case by case basisness. Yeah. Yeah. The only way to formalize it is to have is to formalize the route by which these cases are brought to real humans. Yeah. Like to say like these are the people who we trust to make these to evaluate these cases or whatever, but it's still relies on people making their judgments like you can't skip that 
Yeah. So somebody else who we've recently had to watch leave the scene because of things that have come to light was uh, Guilty, who is someone several of us have played with. And what she tried to do was kind of get ahead of the allegations that she knew were probably out there for her. And pretty much as soon as she came forward and said that she had had a history of uh, harassment and sexual advances that were unwanted, um, a bunch of people immediately jumped forward to corroborate that and say, hey, fuck this person. And that was, I mean, there's just like what you said about how there is no template, there is no case-by-case basis system to do these things. Like they just keep happening in a new and more difficult to juggle for the community way each time. So I, I kind of want to close on a positive note and it specifically concerns, uh, doesn't, I don't want to say concerns because it doesn't concern anything, but, uh, there was a podcast by, uh, RSF, uh, R street fighter, the Reddit street fighter podcast. Um, and basically what it was, was a series of interviews with women in the FGC and what their experiences were. And, um, there was a lot of talk about like harassment and stuff and who sticks up for you and like where that matters most. And like, there was some thankfulness that like people were sticking up for you for, for the person, uh, where they were. And there was like, this happened to me and it sucked, but also by far the majority of it was a positive feeling about the FGC existing in general. And like that it's a positive space in these people's lives. And I, I guess that's kind of like, these things are never not going to be a problem in the FGC, just like they're never not going to be a problem anywhere else. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't not have an AG an FGC. Uh, these, these spaces are worth saving to what Josh said at the very beginning of the episode to kind of bring it full circle that like, it might feel different now, but it's better, right? Like that we're fixing these problems is making it better for women in the scene. And that's, super important like we're moving in a good direction like things are weird because we're watching people that we thought we liked or maybe we even looked up to in some ways go away um it's better this way and it's okay and we can move forward like right a, a sort of thing that people say a lot um is that whenever you expel a predator you have to think of it not as um removing one person and their contributions you need to Think about all of the people whose all the people whose contributions never were part of the community because they felt unsafe because of this one specific person or because of a culture of defending these people. That every time we take a concrete step to make these communities more safe, we are actively inviting new people in, and that these people will be able to to contribute their own things and. Um, and we're all we're doing is we're prioritizing who we want in our community. And I think it's it's pretty safe to say that we will always want the people who felt unsafe over the people who were making people feel unsafe. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything you're working on? A Twitter, um, a medium, what have you? It's, uh, it's, just, it's just a Twitter for now. We're, uh, we're Josh at, at JoshEasy underscore, so J-O-S-H-E-Z underscore. Um, you can find all my, my bullshit there. Hell yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening.